paper airplane out of it, do whatever you want. Does everybody have one? Did you get one, Allison? Everybody got one? Okay. And because uh, we have extras, if you want one, raise your hand. You know, I'll give you one. Anybody else want one? Andrew want one? And Brooklyn wants one? Anybody else want one? Oh, give me a Jonathan. Give him, oh, there you dropped some. Sorry. They're just extras. I'll throw the extras away. But anyway, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Appreciate the service this morning. Appreciate Sunday school wrapping up with with um, uh, the Olivet Discourse. Next, next Sunday, in Sunday school, we are going to have a church discussion on our camp coming up. We're going to talk about everything. Peter is going to head that up. And so everybody's welcome to, to be in that. Your, your classes are welcome to, to, to be in there, take a, a Sunday off from Sunday school. And, you know, I'd, I'd rather do it in Sunday school than morning service or evening service. So um, that'll be next Sunday morning during Sunday school. We'll talk about everything. Um, Peter has everything lined up and, or will have everything lined up. Okay. And uh, so that'll be next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. That'll be here before you know it. The, the Gold Eisens will be in on the 12th and we'll start uh, services with them on Wednesday the 14th. And uh, spoke to him yesterday. He just retired as a pastor. Uh, last Sunday was his gone away, his retirement, and uh, I said, "Well, define retirement." And and he goes, "Well, what do you mean by define retirement?" You know, and I, or are you going to quit ministering? And he said, "Oh no," he said, "I'll I'll keep ministering, but I don't have the pressures and the stress of pastoring anymore." And uh, he's with the assemblies, and one of the things that the assemblies does that that's that's pretty good is. When you retire as a minister, you can put your name in the hat or on the board. You know, and there's assembly God churches all over, everywhere. And and if a pastor wants to take a couple weeks off, they'll call the past, you know, the retired pastor and say, "Hey, you want to fill in for, you know, a couple weeks?" And and uh, he 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 said he has a friend that retired six years ago, and he says he rarely misses a service. He's just always moving about, helping other ministers take some time off. And so I thought that was pretty cool. But looking forward to them, they, they're dear friends of ours, and uh, we go back a, a long, long way. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Oh, and, and you know, once again, you know, um, I'm sure that you all looked at that beautiful garden of Sister Carolyn. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I just had to throw that in. Something else might come to mind here in a little bit. <laughs> She's so humble and uh, gives her husband all the, the credit. Amen. 
Okay, uh, verse 44. <laughs> Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth the field. Let me read that one more time. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. May the Lord add the blessings to the reading of his word, and everyone said, Amen. Lord, helping us this morning here, I want to uh, preach on the the hidden treasure. This is number five in our series of parables. Um, the hidden treasure. The hidden treasure, the symbol of Israel. Uh, you know, there is a theology that has been around for some time. It's relatively new, but it's been around for a little while. I allude to it every once in a while, but it's called replacement theology, which states that Israel has been replaced by the church. Adherents of replacement theology believe the Jews are no longer God's chosen people. And God does not have specific future plans for the nation of Israel. Personally, I do not believe that this is what Scripture teaches. I disagree with it wholeheartedly. But it is a, it is a common theology that a lot of your well-known preachers and scholars adhere to. Sure, Israel has been set aside for a period of time so that God can bring the Gentiles, you and me, into the fold. But after the rapture takes place, which we talked about this morning in Sunday school, God will again bring Israel back to his primary focus, at which time the tribulation period will begin. Thus far, we have studied the parables of the, the sower, and in the sower there were the different soils, there was the the wayside ground, and there was the stony ground, there was the thorny ground, and then there was the good soil. And he scattered the seed, and it was only the good soil that produced anything that was of any value. And so as we moved on to the, the second one, the, there was two sowers in, uh, in, in this one, where the one sower sowed good seed, and then another sower came called the wicked one, and at night sowed bad seed, you had wheat and then you had tares. They had uh, two sowers and two different uh, fruits that came up, products. And then um, last week we, we talked about the mustard seed and the leaven. Uh, the key to the first two parables is, and, and I know when you, when you look at it, especially in the first parable, you know, only one out of four uh, turned out good. All the other three places, the, the wayside, the stony ground, the thorns, the seed died or was choked up or didn't amount to anything. And so it does narrow things down that there's, you know, there's not going to, you know, be a, a lot. Uh, you know, Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few there be that find it. But keep in mind, Jesus said, in the kingdom of heaven is like unto in other words, it's, it's kind of small when it starts out, but then it gets bigger. And we've seen that in the, uh, in the mustard seed where the teaches us the, the benefit uh, from our growth. 
And uh, all four of these parables deal with small beginnings. And let, let me just throw this in as, uh, as well, that uh, the devil is going to be defeated in the end, regardless of how small uh, things may seem at times, he's still going to be defeated in the end. I, uh, that is a very, very uh, powerful aspect of Scripture that you can rest assured he is going to suffer defeat. When I was uh, growing as a young convert in our, in our home church back in Indiana years ago, my pastor was very dynamic. His name was Ben Miller. And uh, he, would, uh, he would often say that, you know, when Satan is bound, he said, I want to make my way through the crowd. And he said, I want to just kind of reach in there and give that chain a jerk myself, you know, and I've never forgotten that he would do it with such passion, you know, and, and uh, once again, showing the, the defeat of Satan. But let's, let, let's move forward here, understanding the, the hidden treasure parable. First off, uh, I, I want you to understand this, you know, that the word of God is, is inspired and it's infallible. I, I hope that you would accept that. I want you to understand something about me. I'm neither. <laughs> I'm a man. And I'm not um, infallible. I'm, I'm a finite person. Uh, I, I bleed just like you do. I sweat just like you do. Even though I may study to be as right as I can, Still, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. And so I always try to bring everything in, in line uh, with Scripture. So the question we must ask is this. In my study this morning, or in my studies over the past, is my interpretation consistent with what the rest of the Bible teaches, is it? And this is where I guess it, it leads up to your part. You know, the, the Bereans, they searched the scriptures to see if the things that Paul was preaching was right or not. And so I would hope that there would be times, and I, I, I do, I, I don't take it for granted, but I do understand that you do trust what I, what I present to you. I, I, I do understand that. But never feel that you can't approach me with something that you don't understand. Don't, don't ever feel that I'm unapproachable because I want to be approachable. I want you to listen, listen and I want you to ask questions. I have absolutely no problem with that at all. If I don't have an answer, you give me some time and I'll find one. That's just kind of the way I look at it. So as for the Jews who heard Jesus use this term treasure, they knew exactly what it meant. As we talked about this morning in Sunday school, the Jews are very, very adamant in understanding and learning their history and their culture. And so there's, there's a historical perspective here. And, and I, I believe I mentioned this gentleman last, uh, last Sunday. His name is Flavian uh, Josephus. And Josephus was a historian. Matter of fact, he was a he was a military leader in, in uh, uh, Israel for a couple years and uh, was very, very, he was a very prominent man in, in Israel. 
and he he wrote several different volumes of on history uh you know the wars of jerusalem and and uh jesus of the messiah and and uh, uh antiquities and things like that and in the works of josephus when when and every jew knows who flavius josephus is and so when Jesus says there was a treasure hid in a field, immediately their mind could go to what Flavius Josephus said in his, in his writings, that when Rome came in and took Jerusalem, a lot of the Jews, they took their goods and they just ran, and wherever they could find a spot, they buried their treasures, their, their, their valuables in the ground. A lot of them not knowing where they, where they left them because everything was so... Uh, quick and hurried and, and so on. And, and so they know exactly what Jesus meant, you know, historically speaking, when he says there was a treasure that was hidden because they're all the time, you know, you can, if you follow any news about Israel, there seems like every week or, or, you know, once a month or sometimes two or three times a month, they find something buried in Israel. It's just the way life is over there. But so that's historically speaking. But the scriptural perspective, and you don't have to turn, I wrote them all out, but I'll read them to you. Exodus 19, 5. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So of all the people on the earth, God chose Israel to be his treasure. They understood that. Psalm 135.4, for the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. And once again, I just gave you a couple verses, but there's many, many more that you could look up if, if you're interested yourself. This was an unconditional promise that God made with Israel, but it was conditional on Israel's part. And that condition was obedience to God's commands. However, we, we understand that by reading the Old Testament and, and knowing somewhat of their history, they failed in this area miserably. They kept doing things that they weren't supposed to do. They would be uh, uh, taken into captivity, Babylonian captivity, uh, uh, into exile. I mean, just so many different things uh, happened to them because of their disobedience. They were supposed to go into the new land, and they were supposed to eradicate, get rid of all the idols and, and the godlessness, but instead of doing that, they became a part of it. And so, you know, sin does have its consequences. It doesn't matter if you're in the old or the new. Sin does have its con consequences. Did God throw the towel uh, away when, uh, when it came to Israel? No, he didn't. Did he look for another people to replace uh, Israel? No, he didn't. Did God stop loving Israel? No, he didn't. God loves Israel. They're his chosen people. And, and, and you know, once again, let's just keep going back to Scripture. Always remember God's unconditional policy towards Israel was irrevocable. Regardless of what they did, 
His policy, his covenant towards them was irrevocable because his promise to them predates the law. His promise was made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so we see that God's promise to them started with Abraham, and it's never been revoked. That promise is still active. It's still in effect to this very day. There are three main factors in this parable that I want us to consider here briefly this morning. Number one, there's the field or the land. Number two, there's the treasure. And number three, there's a person. So first off, when we look at the field, which is symbolic of the land of Israel, the field or land in Scripture is in contrast to the sea. Israel is always called the land in the Bible, while nations are referred to as the sea or the sea of nations, plural. This is why the Lord called his disciples to be fishers of men in the great sea of the world. They wasn't supposed to take the gospel and just confine it to them, but it was something that was supposed to be for everyone. The gospel, the good news is is for everyone. Amen. In uh, uh, Leviticus 25, 23, the Bible says the land. Now, this is key. This is key to when we look at our diagram that I gave you. Not yet, but this is key. Leviticus 25, 23, the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. That's God speaking. You can't sell it because it's mine. Remember that. It is like the field in our text, which a man bought at the cost of his whole fortune. In Genesis 15, 18, when God was giving Abraham the parameters of what the geographical layout would be for them possessing this, this promised land. He says in Genesis 15, 18, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, now this is, just wrap your mind around this. This is a territory that is 22 times greater than the current state of Israel, if you include the the West Bank and the Gaza. 300,000 square miles. Now look at your map. That little red spot in the middle of that map is current day Israel. But when you look at the promise that God gave Abraham, that's all inside the blue perimeter. Isn't that astounding? I mean, that that brings in most of uh, a large portion and some of the Arab nations. You know, one of the reasons why the Arab nations are so 
uh, at, at odds with, with, with Israel's because, you know, the Arab nations, Muslims, you know, they go back to Ishmael. Ishmael goes back, you know, to his dad was uh, Abraham. And uh, so, you know, they, they all, you know, the Jews go back to Abraham. The, the Muslims go back to Abraham when Abraham had an affair. What, what, what was her name? Hagar. Uh, and uh, uh, trying to, 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 to push the, the promise of God. And so Sarah said, go into my, my handmaid and, and have a child. And so he went into Hagar and, and had Ishmael. And then, and then at 90 years old or, or, or older, Sarah conceived and had Isaac. Well, when she saw Isaac, her son, and Ishmael, you know, she didn't like the competition. So she said, get rid of Hagar. And so Hagar took her son and they, they went out into a desert place. And, they, and when, when Hagar thought, and I'm giving you my paraphrase here, when Hagar thought that her and her son was going to die, she walked away from him and she wept. And an angel appeared unto her and, 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 and said, I'll bless thee and your son will be a, the leader of a great nation or many nations. And so there's always been an animosity between the Muslims and the Jews. That's what we see today. Amen. It, it's been going on ever since back then. And, uh, and so, but, but, but once again, this is, what, this is what they get upset with because they know that the promise that was given to Abraham engulfs them. That's a lot of territory. I mean, that goes, if, if you look, that goes all the way to the Persian Gulf. I mean, that's massive. It goes to Cairo, Egypt, down and, 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 and across Saudi Arabia, all Jordan's in there, most of Iraq. And, 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 and some, some diagrams that I, that I looked at, some of them don't engulf the, the whole country of Turkey like, like this one here seemingly does. But when you look at the tribes that they were supposed to uh, take, in possessing the promised land, I, I believe it was the, the Kenites. The, the Kenites are the ones that had Turkey. And so, and the Euphrates River, I believe, uh, starts in Turkey. And he says from the Euphrates River, you know, unto the river uh, or Cairo or the, the, the great river from Egypt. And once again, I, I butchered that. But but anyway, that, that's why it engulfed so much of Turkey is because of the tribe that was there that God said, you're going to take them out as well. And so that's why this diagram shows most of Turkey. That's a big region. That, that's really big. And all of Syria, except maybe just a, a small portion, all of Syria is, is in the promises of God. Half of Iraq, all of Jordan, you know. And the interesting thing about the Palestinians you know, the Palestinians have never had a country. They're just a bunch of rogue Muslims, you know, just, you know, sojourning around, you know, trying to find their own property. And, and the, bare, the bare bones about the Palestinians, they weren't welcomed in the Muslim world. And so they kind of moved them. Yeah, just get out of here. They, they, they never had a place of their own. And so now they, 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 they've tried to find a, a piece of Israel over these years. And uh, well, this is going to bear home. Did, you know, once, once again, look at all the missiles that are lobbed out of out of the the, the the Palestinians into Israel. 
You know, here two weeks ago, there was 1,200 missiles. Looked like the 4th of July, just nonstop, just going through the air. You know, and the Iron Dome and David's sling was taking them all out. It was, it was fascinating to see. I think only one Israeli died. But then just the other day, I think it was yesterday or the day before, some uh, terrorists came down from Egypt, crossed into the Israeli border and took out uh, two Israeli soldiers. That's going to have ramifications. They, you just don't kill an Israeli and, it, and it's over with. But, but anyway, I'm getting kind of out of, my, out of my, my, my train of thought here. But this is just to show you what God told them that was theirs. And it's interesting to note also, and I didn't do a lot of research on this, but even under the reign of Solomon, Solomon still didn't have all this. Nobody has had all of this territory since God gave it to Abraham. So it's yet to be acquired, amen, which I thought was, was very interesting. So that's, that's the field, that's the land. The treasure represents the nation of Israel. In this parable, the treasure stands for the nation of Israel and its future redemption. Israel is truly a cherished treasure in God's eye. And when we see through God's eyes, when we understand all this uh, uh, scriptural reference and geography, when, when, we, when we try to get a, an understanding of it, that's when we really begin to love and appreciate Israel's existence. That's why we need to listen to them and watch them and see exactly what's going on over there. Um, it, it's, it, it just blows my mind, uh, uh, the, the, the things that you see happening over there and how it fits into Scripture. And, and you know, it, 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 it causes, you, causes you to try to figure things out. And when you think you've got it figured out, it doesn't happen that way because this over here, Russia, attacked Ukraine. I'll tell you, one of the big things, and I'm really getting out of my box here, one of the big things, you, you mark my words, that in the future here is that, that natural gas pipeline that Israel has in the Mediterranean. They're going to feed Europe with that. Putin shut them off. Israel's going to feed them. That's going to be a bone of contention. But anyway, that's just Metzger um, <laughs> thoughts for you to, to you know, just kind of uh, hold that out there in front of you. Um, so number three, the person in this parable is none other than Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah. Now, Jesus left heaven he gave up everything that he had in order to be born in a field in the land of Israel as a man. He came down, amen, the Bible says in John chapter 1, uh, that he came down unto his own, and his own received him not. He purchased the field with his life. Once again, in that verse, it says, and the man sold all that he had and went back and bought the field that had the treasure in it. Jesus gave his life, amen, uh, for that field because in that field was the treasure. It was the people, amen. The love of God for the Jews and Israel cannot be described in a more moving manner. God's love is for you. God's love is for me. But when we begin to understand the degree of his love for the Jews, just think then how much he loves you and me personally. If he would go to that extent to give himself 
for them, and and and, and let me let me put this in into into uh, play also or into your focus. Jesus died for more than our salvation. He died for real estate. He owns all that property here. He owns it. They can give, they can make all the deals they want. The U.S. can go over there and make all the deals that we think they ought to be making and giving away their land and all this. But Jesus died for that land. His blood is in that land. Amen. He died for the, the salvation of mankind, but he also owns that land, according to this parable. Jesus moved through Israel with compassion. He moved through Israel with tears, but they kept rejecting him. Israel had obligated themselves to the keeping of the law. Therefore, the law owned them. The law owned them. Israel was supposed to be different, but they became like everyone else. They were supposed to be that peculiar treasure. They were the treasure, but they weren't peculiar. They became just like their neighbors did. In Romans 3, 9, and 10, I thought this was interesting. What then? Are we better than they? The Apostle Paul talking about Jew and Gentile, which is the Jew versus you and me. He says, no, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. If you look up that, that, those two words under sin in your concordance, it means beneath, it means below. Under sin is the same as being hidden because of sin. It was buried. It was hidden. Just like you and me were hidden. When Jesus came into the field, he paid the greatest price for his own people. He gave his life. With his own blood, he purchased. He bought this treasure in the field of Israel for himself. It was written over his cross in John 19, 19 and 20. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And even before his trial and condemnation, when he stood before the Jewish council, Caiaphas, who was a puppet, he really wasn't a priest, and we could go into that, but, uh, and, and, and that can be proven without a shadow of a doubt. But he made a prophetic statement. You know, I, I kind of look at this, if Balaam's donkey can, can say something, God can make a false priest say something. But man, did he say something. Listen to this in John eleven forty nine 49 through 52. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. 
And this man spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for that nation and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. That's what he prophesied. I mean, I, I just think that is so beautiful. It's so intriguing. You have heard the saying, nothing is free. We, we hear that, you know, entitlements, uh, you know, welfare, what, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, one of, one of the reasons, and, and just let me step on my horse just for my box, soapbox for a little bit here, and I'll get right back off of it. You know, nobody wants to work today. Why? Because they're receiving these entitlements, this free stuff. Well, let me tell you, it's not free. Nothing is free. They get it from my account. They get it from your account. They get it from my taxes. They get it from your taxes. You know, they say salvation is free, but in the technical sense, it's not. It's not because a man gave his life. He paid the highest price, his life, so that you and I could benefit from it. People cheapen salvation when they look at it from an entitlement perspective. They cheapen it. Salvation was costly. It cost the Son of God his very life so that you and I could have the benefit of eternal life. Amen. Christ's death was to purchase God's treasure. Christ's death fulfilled the law that owned them. But they still rejected him. They still rejected him. We, we covered this a couple of weeks ago in our John Bible study, and I, I brought it into this. I thought was very interesting. People who say that they are no longer under the law have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. They don't get it. Jesus said, I have come not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. That's scripture. The law is what brings condemnation to a person's life. The law is what points us to to Jesus Christ and, and says, man, you need a savior. You're going to die and go to hell. That's what the law does. It, 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 it pushes a man or a, and a woman. It, it causes us to look at, man, I need some help because my conscience and my heart, everything in my mind is telling me that I'm bad and, 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 and I can't do right and so on, that I'm condemned before a holy God. That's what the law does. The law is still there to this very day. It never went away. Amen. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy it or do away with it. It is the law that condemns. Now, now this, is, this, is the, this is what you have to understand. If you have not the saving grace of God in your life, then you will die under the consequences of the law. That's Bible. If, if you have not the saving grace of God upon your life, you'll die under the consequences 
of the law. That's what grace affords you and me. I can't live the law to the letter. You can't live the law to the letter. But I'm so glad that when this hidden treasure, you know, and as we as we learned here a few moments ago, Israel somewhat been shelved, you know, so that the time of the Gentiles, the time of grace could come into God's prophetic calendar, into his dispensational line of events and so on. Amen. So that I can be saved, so that you can be saved. The only way that you and I can be saved is by accepting Jesus Christ through faith in grace. Man, when I mess up, when you mess up, the key to us staying saved is, Lord, I'm sorry, and I'm going to keep moving forward. Ooh, glory be to God. But when we move out of grace, you're ripe then for judgment from the law. Because the law is still. Amen. It's good preaching. And though it offends our, our Gentile pride, Jesus did die primarily with Israel or the Jews in focus. Paul said in Romans 1.16, salvation came to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. It's just the way it is. Had to start somewhere with somebody. So let me wind down here and give you some prophetic implications. The hidden treasure in this prophecy when we look at the, the significance of the words hide or hideth, they're extremely powerful. Jesus Christ, who is the person, found the treasure hidden in a field, and then he hides it again. That's what the parable says, just that one powerful verse. He gave up everything so that he could buy the field. Now keep in mind that he did not dig up the treasure, but left the treasure in the field. So let's look at uh, some uh, powerful wisdom that, that God uh, displays uh, in, in his word. Christ bought the field with its concealed treasure on Calvary. That's how he purchased it, dying on the cross. He bought both the land of Israel and the people of Israel. Now here, here, here's a nugget for you. In layman's terms, Israel's redemption is not yet visible. Jesus has paid for it in full, but the redemption of the people or for the people remains hidden to this day. It isn't their time. So there's a few of them get saved here and there, but it's just not their time. Christ has not yet revealed his claim to them, but is waiting for a future day. My last question here as Hannah comes to the piano. Why is, or why is he keeping the treasure hidden then? You'll find out next week <laughs> in the next parable. I don't want to get the cart before the horse. But I do have this to say in conclusion. I like the way Paul flips the narrative once you accept Christ as your personal Savior. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, we have. Mike Metzger has this treasure in an earthen vessel. What's that treasure? 
Jesus Christ. He's become the treasure of my life. Paul says we have this treasure. Now, I love words. I love the etymology. I love I love meanings. I love all this. And I hope this blows your mind like it does mine. The word treasure comes from the Latin word thesaurus, which was derived from the Greek word thazarus, which is almost spelled completely the same. The literal meaning of the Greek origin word is a treasury or treasure. Storehouse, a chest. In other words, a thesaurus is a book or treasure chest of synonyms. What do you, what do you, what do you mean by all that? This is my point. This is what I try to do as a pastor. The more we dig into scriptures, the more we learn of the immeasurable life and purpose of Jesus Christ. He's attached to everything. He's in everything. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that by him everything was made and there's not anything made that wasn't made by him. He's the creator of everything. He's the word as we've learned in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of only the begotten of the son full of grace and truth. <laughs> John said he's He's the life and he's the light of men. That's, that's, that's who Jesus is. He's, he's in everything. He's everything. There's nothing that you cannot find him in. But here, here's the, the sad irony of it all. Men love darkness rather than light. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. It's buried today. But he opened up to another group of people called Gentiles. And they saw the light, and they loved the light. They saw the treasure, and they wanted it. I got tired of living in sin, and so I gave my life to Jesus Christ. That's why they're still buried, so that I can come in, so that you can come in, that we can have life, and that we can have life more abundantly. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your word here this morning. It's a good word. I love how your word complements itself with word. I pray that, Father, that you would help each of us, Lord, to just try to grasp on to 
the real meaning and the real the realness of your love for each and every one of us. My, we live in grace. And Lord, I sure don't want to abuse the grace of God. Don't want to do that. I want to live for you with everything that's in me. That's what I want to do. I want to be right. I want to be right. So Lord, I pray that you would with your Holy Spirit, move upon each and every one of us. Tailor this message to fit each one. And Father, for everything you do, we'll give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is open. You're welcome to come.